This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, today we're learning Lili Nishmas, my grandfather, uh, whose yard site was yesterday, and a young girl that passed away Monday morning. Very special girl. Um, Sarah Chana Bas Meshabarach. So when I spoke by her Levaya on Monday, she was actually she passed away on the twentieth day after her twentieth birthday. When I spoke by her Levaya, I said something very interesting. She was a very special girl. She worried always about other people much, much more than herself. Very unusual at twenty years old to have such midos. And the Mishnah asks. How do you know if Hashem loves you? How do you know if Hashem is happy with a certain person? How do you know if He's happy? So you would think that the answer would be that, well, if she sneers, she's a snua, and she davens, and she does mitzvot, that Hashem would, is very happy with her. That's what I would think. Or a guy, if he's learning Torah and he dominates three times of the minion. But there are people that do these things and, and, and behind everyone's back they do very bad things. How do we know if they're good, if they're really good? How do you know if someone's really good? It's a fascinating Mishnah, not what you expect. And the Mishnah says the following that Chanini Medoisa says, Kol Sheruach Habrios Himenu. Anyone that other people are happy to be around that person, right? If you want, to, if you want to do the the real translation, um, if the spirit of one's fellows is pleased with him, in other words, people get along with that with with you, people like you, then you know, Hashem likes you. But I don't care if you're the biggest sadist in the world. But you you're not nice to people and people don't like you. You're nasty or just they don't like you because you're criticizing all the time. Hashem doesn't like that. He don't like you. The Mishnah, I'm not saying this, it's not my own. Any person who people do not like him. Hashem doesn't like you either. Hashem is not happy with you. He's not pleased with you. Hashem likes everyone. He's not pleased with you. So if you want all the barometer, if you're doing the right thing, you're not doing the right thing. If what you're doing, people like you for it. Now, of course, <laughs> there are people who don't like me. Okay? There are people who don't like me. Because... My father always used to tell me success breeds contempt. When you're successful, people hate you. It's just the way it is. If people were like President Trump was very successful, everyone hated him. Nobody hated Pence, his vice president. Who cared about him, right? But the president. So when you're successful and you're, you're doing good things, there's always people like, no, there's got to be a different reason. He's probably making millions of dollars. He's gotta... We don't fagin. There's no English word. I don't know the English word for fagin. We don't let, we just, it, 
it bothers us to see someone else make it. That's where Ayin Hara comes from. Ayin Hara is very interesting. I did a whole, when I first started teaching, one of the biggest subjects I used to speak about, I did a lot of research on Ayin Hara. Now, the people tell you if you don't believe in it, it can't hurt you. That's not true. That's not true. I don't know who came up with that wife's tale, but it's not true. Because even if you don't believe in it, it could hurt you. What, what it really means, I'm going to tell you what it really means, but not what... Someone misunderstood that statement. Why? Because there's a Rashi. And if someone tells you Ayin Hara is not real, they don't know what they're talking about. Because there's a Rashi. Two Rashis. Can you give me... Oh, I have a Chumash. Hold on, I'll read it to you. Because people, oh, Ayin Hara, I don't believe in Ayin Hara. There's no things Ayin Hara... Who made that up? Now, you can't blame everything. You can, you're not showing a shot if you're doing every other day and things bad are happening. It's Ayin Hara. No, it's not Ayin Hara. So a lot of people, they use that excuse. Oh, it's Ayin Hara. But you don't keep Shabbos. You know, I know it's Ayin Hara. I know a lot of irreligious people are like, right, Wallstein, it's Ayin Hara. That's why my life is so miserable. I'm like, you don't keep Shabbos. You don't keep kosher. You, you don't get dressed correctly. Like, it's not Ayin Hara, right? So that, that's not the blame of everything else. But listen to this. This, this Rashi is amazing. So it says the following. When, when Avraham Avinu threw Yishmael out of the house, she leaves and she takes him on her shoulders she carries him on her shoulders now the problem with that is that he wasn't a little boy he was at least 13 years old because he had a bris when he was 13 years old so Rashi asks why would the mother carry a 13 year old boy on her shoulders when he walk Right, it's a good question. Let me get to where he throws him out. Oh, here. Okay, listen. We asked him, Avram, Abok, Avram woke up in the morning, Yikach, Lechem, Lechem, Asmayim, and he gave them bread and water. But Yitin, Al-Hagar, and he gave it to Hagar, Sam Al-Shikma, Lechayeled. So, Yudalid, Rashi. Lechayeled. Now, he's 13 years old. Why would his mother carry him on her shoulders? Let him walk, says Rashi. Atayeled, Sam Al-Shikma. He had to put, she had to put the boy on her shoulder. She had to carry him. Why? I'm reading Rashi now. Because Sarah put into the boy iron raw. She gave him an iron hara. Sarah gave him an iron hara. He got fever. And he couldn't walk. Rashi. So you can't tell me there's no thing as iron hara. 
Rashi says, Sarah gave Yishmol an Ayahara, he got sick with fever, and he had to be carried. How do we know this is true? Because until Yaakov Avinu came, there was no sickness in the world. You used to sneeze and die. That's why you say, Gesundheit, see so, whatever you say, I don't know what, what Sardom say when someone sneezes, right? They probably go, whatever. But, but um, the reason you do that is in the old days when a person sneezed and the Shema left and he died. Now, that means if I had allergies, I didn't make it? No, it didn't mean you sneeze from an allergy. You sneeze from Yaisi Nishmas. In other words, you could sneeze and not die. But the way a person died was by sneezing. And Yaakov Avinu said that, that from one moment to the next, you don't know if you're going to die. You can't do tshuva. You can't have your family with you. So he davened for sickness. So Hashem brought sickness into the world by Yaakov Avinu. So how could Yishmol be sick? That you had to put him on the shoulder. Because the sickness of Ayin Hara existed before. Because it's not a sickness, a normal, it's not a normal sickness. So we see from Rashi that there is such a thing as Ayin Hara. It's very real. Now, there's another Rashi that's even wilder than this Rashi. It says that when Hashem gave the Torah, when He gave the Torah, so the first time He gave the Torah, lightning, thunder, fire, the mountain was shaking, Gansamaisis, a whole, a whole production, crazy production, like, like, like a concert. Like sound, fire, smoke, the whole works. The second time, and then Moshe broke the luchos, he went back up. The second time Hashem gave it, it says, he, no, light, no lightning, no thunder, nothing. Just quietly he came to the mountain and gave Klaishwal the Torah. So Mephoshim say, why? He says, because when Hashem did, this is very hard to understand. When Hashem did the big presentation the first time, Nichnas, the Goyim, were all jealous and they gave an Ayin Hara to the Torah, to the, to the Luchos. So they were broken because of Ayin Hara. That's like, like, how do you give Hashem an Ayin Hara? Hashem said, no, this time I'm going to give the Torah quietly. No one's going to know. So there's definitely something about Ayin Hara. Now, what is an Ayin Hara? Ayin Hara is not, you go to a wedding your friend's getting married and you're sitting there and the chassan is perfect. Like the perfect, she got the perfect guy. And you're sitting there and you're like, wow, I wish I would get such a guy. Is that an ayin hara? You think it's an ayin hara? What do you think, girls? Is that an ayin hara? Nope. You know what an ayin hara is? Why did she deserve to get such a guy? That's an ayin hara. Not, you have a beautiful car. I also like a car like that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm allowed to like a car. You have a beautiful house. I'm allowed to like a house. I would say, Hashem, I'd love to have a house like that. There's nothing wrong with that. You did nothing wrong. There's other problems, but it's not an Ayin Hara. Ayin Hara is, why does she deserve to have such a house? And I don't. I'm much better than her. I do much more mitzvahs. She's not even that from. That is a sick Ayin Hara. And that will hurt the person very much. Why? How does it work? Right? How does it work? So, when that girl... You're sitting by the wedding, and you're saying, why does she deserve him and, I'm, and me not? Your malach, because you said that, your malach goes up to Hashem and says to Hashem, my girl wants to know why that girl deserves something that she doesn't. So Hashem now has to open up that girl's books. It's never good if God opens up your books, because there's going to be a lot of stuff in there that's not good. He doesn't open up your book a whole year. They don't open up your book. You can do a lot of bad stuff. They don't open up your book. Unless someone makes them open the book. 
Rosh Hashanah, he opens the book. But until Rosh Hashanah, he doesn't open the book. Now the angels are coming and saying, why does she deserve it? So now they open the book. It's like an IRS audit. If you don't have an IRS audit, you're okay. But the minute they come going through your books, they're going to find $10, $20. They're going to find something that's wrong. You don't want them to look at your books. Once they open up your books, they're going to find something that's wrong. So when someone gives you an Ainhara and they're like, why does she deserve something and I didn't get it? It opens up your books. If it opens up your books, you're in big trouble. Oh, she did this wrong. She did that wrong. So the mach's like, like, my girl didn't do that wrong. So take it away from her. And then never to get divorced. And whatever, whatever happens from the Ayin Hara, that's how an Ayin Hara works. An Ayin Hara opens up the other person's books. And once the books are open, you're in big tr- they're in big trouble. That's an Ayin Hara. How do you protect yourself from an Ayin Hara? One, don't talk about your stuff. Try not to have other people... You know, there were many people whose houses on the outside were ugly. And inside they were nice, so people didn't know. It says you shouldn't buy a corner house. Because the corner, there's people going horizontal and there's people going vertical. So it's brought down, you shouldn't buy a corner house on a block because too many people see your house. So, yeah, if you're very beautiful, don't, don't make yourself so beautiful when you go out because other people are going to look and say, why Hashem is she so beautiful and I'm not? So you're not supposed to flash it in their face. But the truth is that people are jealous sometimes no matter what you do. You could get, get up in the morning, have no makeup, nothing, look like you just got hit by a car and the other girl is like, in the dorm is looking at you and saying like, why is she so beautiful and I'm not? You're like, what? Right? Because she's just jealous of you. So how do I stop that? How do I stop someone from being jealous of me? Especially when you're in the public eye. How do you stop that? I had an interesting story many years ago. Very embarrassing. It was very embarrassing. After my shear Wednesday night in Arnava, a girl came over to me. She was like probably around 28 years old. She was in Shiduchim for a long time. And I said, No, what's going on? What's going on with your Shiduchim? She said, I don't know. I, I just can't meet anybody. I said, I think you're being too picky. Well, I didn't know. I, said, I think maybe you're being too picky. Like, don't be so like picky. She goes, Right, well, I'll, say, I'll tell you the truth. I'm looking for someone like you. Which is pretty embarrassing when a girl just says that to you in your face. I said, really? She said, yeah. You know, he works and, and you teach and, and you have school. I just, yeah, I, I really, that's what I'm looking for. I, I, I can't find it. I said, you want to know the truth? If that's what you're looking for, a guy like me, I'm married. I'm not available. But I know someone that's exactly like me. Really? I'm like, yeah, mom is the same, teaches, has a business. I think it would be perfect. She says, so why did you read it? I said, well, he's um, a little older than you. She's like, she was like, I don't know, maybe 26, 28. She goes, how old is he? I'm like, at that time I was 58. Maybe 57. I said, he's, uh, he's around 57 years old. Wallace, I'm not going out with a 57-year-old. I'm like, yeah, but it took me to become who I am until I was like 57, 58. You would never have gone out with me when I was 20. No way. You wouldn't even looked at me. I wasn't in yeshiva. You wouldn't even talk to me. So like, that's not... You have to look at somebody and potential and someone who wants to grow... But you don't marry usually a finished product. It's not what happens. But 
you, when you're in the public, people look at you and you don't. So, so how do you protect yourself? How do you protect yourself? You want to get engaged. You want to walk down the chuppah. There's 40 girls from your class sitting there that are not married. How do you protect yourself? They're looking at you and they're like, my God, I can't believe she's getting married and I'm not. Boom, Ian Hollis. Boom, 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 boom. So I shouldn't get married? I shouldn't walk down to the chuppah? I should get married in my backyard? COVID wedding? Like what? And I think this is where the misunderstanding came from. There's only one way to protect yourself from Ayin Hara. What? Exactly. If you don't do it to others, in other words, another girl gets married, she should be gebenched. Another girl's prettier, Hashem should bless her. Another person's richer, you should be gebenched. You're not, why her, not me? You never do that. That when the malach of the girl that's giving you the ayin hara comes to Shemayim and says, Hashem, why does Miriam have engaged and my and mine isn't? Miriam's angel comes up and says, one second, Hashem, my girl that I represent, Miriam, was never jealous or asked that question. Never. And therefore, no one has the right to ask that question on her. She never asked that question on anyone else. So the only so I think that's what it means when they said to say that if you don't believe in Ayin Hara, then it won't affect you. What it means is if you don't give Ayin Hara, and then I think it got switched in the translation. If you don't give Ayin Hara, you'll be protected from Ayin Hara. But if you're jealous of everyone, they're going to be opening your books every time someone gives you an Ayin Hara. Now the red string thing. Right? If you think you're going to give people iron harvest and the red string is going to protect you, it's not. What, how does the red string work? What's the red string? What is it? Huh? The red string just makes you, instead of looking at the person, you look at the string. Red. Hasidic, Hasidic women don't wear red skirts or red anything because it attracts people to look at you. Red. Oh, red. Right? Like a red cow. Red. Red. So if you wear a red string... So the person that's looking at you is going to be looking at your red string instead of looking at you. You can't give a string an ayin hara. So it's sort of... But the real protection of an ayin, the real protection is not to do it to others, like you said. Once you do it to others, you're in trouble. And if you did it to others till now, you have to stop doing it to others. So at least your mala can say, she doesn't do this anymore. She's not jealous of anyone. Jealousy takes you out of this world. There's a mission for Elvis that says, Kina... Kinna takes you out of this world. What does it mean, motzi in this island? Why does it Kinna kills you? It doesn't say that. It takes you out of the world. Why? Because if I'm jealous of you, it means I want to be you. But being that God has no duplicates, so if I want to be you, God doesn't need me in the world anymore because he has you. So automatically, if I'm jealous of someone, motzi in this adam and island, it takes the person out of the world because you're not the original. I want to be like her. So she's the original. So I want to be like her, so then what, what's the reason that I have no individuality? Because I want to be like her. But Tina Saddam and Ireland, then I don't belong here anymore. Hashem doesn't have doubles. He doesn't make duplicates. So that's the, the, the base of jealousy is extremely hurtful, harmful. And um, yeah, so, so that's what the mission is telling us. So the mission is telling us here, how do you know Hashem loves you if people love you? Now that doesn't mean you should do bad things to make people love you. It means you're doing the right thing and people still love you. And there's going to be people that don't like you. Success breeds contempt. There's going to be people that don't like you. You can't make everyone else, you can't make the whole world happy. But if most people like you, and like what you do, then Hashem loves you. If everyone hates your guts, 
even though you're, you know, I had a story, um, I think I told it to you, maybe I didn't tell it to you. So, if you listen to my shiurim on Torah anytime from 15 years ago or 17 years ago, I'm screaming, I'm yelling, I'm giving Musr, where Wallstein's very watered down today. People are like, we want the old Wallstein back, man, knock us over the head, scream at us, yell at us, you know. Chew us up and spit us out. Uh, where are you? Yeah, you got so soft. You got so soft, Rabbi Wallace. So, yeah, if you listen to my old shirim, it's very, very different. Um, so, I'll tell you why I changed. I changed four years ago. Because when I, what I used to do in Eretz Yisrael, I was very close to a very big Makubal. His name was Machluf Lasri. He literally was about 105 years old. It was very, very, very close. He had Ruch HaKodesh. He had all kinds of powers. And I would always go to Israel. Since I'm 11 years old, I would go to Israel for Yom Kippur. So the day after Yom Kippur, I would always go to him and say, did Hashem forgive me? Like, look in Shemayim. And is Hashem happy with me? And did he forgive me? How was my Yom Kippur? And he would close his eyes. And he'd say all kinds of stuff. And then when he finished, he would say, yes, no, change this, do that, whatever. It is. Most of the time, Hashem was very good. And he passed away. He passed away. I don't want to go ask how I'm doing in Shemayim. I don't want to go to. And somebody told me there's this big Makubal in, in Yerushalayim. His name is Rabbi Rosengarten. And go to him. He's a young guy, but you know, go to him. He has big koyach, big strength. Okay. So I go to Rabbi Rosengarten. My wife is with me. <coughs> Day after Yom Kippur. I go to Rabbi Rosengarten. I always had my philosophy. Could you do this for me? Could you find out in Shemayim if they're happy with me? I already had, didn't have the ranch yet, but I had seminaries and Ornava and my high school. I was doing a lot of work for Hashem. A lot of work. So I was really asking him because I wanted to hear that he is happy with me. I knew Hashem was happy with me. I just wanted to hear it. Like I wasn't doing anything that he shouldn't be happy with me. So I give him my name. He closes his eyes. He's writing things with his eyes closed. It's taking too long. Like Machluf took like three minutes. He's like in this coma, I don't know where he was, for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, for Shemayim to say they're happy with me takes two minutes. Something's, got, something's not good. He's getting some information here that I'm not going to like. But okay, I'll wait. He opens his eyes. He reads what he wrote. He says, they're very not happy with you. They have a hakpada on you. That's like, they're angry at you. I said, What? I went through all the Averis I did in my head that year. It wasn't anything major, right? I was like, they're angry at me? He says, yes, you, you, you give too much Musr. I said, what? He said, you give too much Musr. So what do you mean? He said, in Shemayim, he said, Hashem knows what his children are doing wrong. He doesn't want to hear it from you. Sort of like PTA. You go to PTA to talk to the parents, to the teacher. You want to hear something. We knew, we knew as assistant principal, we told everyone that when the parent comes to PTA, you must open up your conversation with something positive. Your kid is cute. Your kid is, even, your kid is smart. Your kid's a good ball player. Your kid does chesed. You can't start with, he's a bum, he's a low life, he disturbs my class, he's, he's, he's rotten, he doesn't do his homework. No, 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 no. You can't go there. You have to start with a compliment. Because the parents not coming to hear bad. Parents know if their kid's doing good or bad. They want to hear something good. He said, Hashem is Kleistro's father. He don't want Wallstein getting up and bad-mouthing his kids. I'm like, but, but I'm giving Musser. 
So he doesn't need you to give Moser. He needs you to give Chizek. To tell his kids they can do it. And they can change. Not to rip their heads off. He said, and your life is in danger. I was like, what? My li- I'm doing all this stuff and my life is in danger? He says, your life is in danger. You have to change your ways. And from that day on, I never said anything bad about Judea, about, about Kleisra. I don't, you hear my shiram. I changed totally around. I only give chizik. If I see a kid doing the worst thing in the world, I'm like, but he's still something good about him. That's what Hashem wants to say. Hashem knows, what he, Hashem knows our bad side, our dark side. He doesn't want people to get up and, and tell, tell how bad we are. He wants to hear something good. He doesn't want to hear anything bad. That's why when people got up, rabbis got up and talked about COVID and women's shaitels are too long and weddings are too nice and, and, and people talk by davening. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not the way to go. That's not, Hashem knows if their shaitels are not long enough or whatever. He knows all that stuff. He doesn't need you to tell him that. You give them chizuk. It's the times of Mashiach. The Gemara says this is what's going to happen. We can do this. We can get through this. That's all that God wants. So I myself, if you listen to my shiurim, in the last five years, have drastically changed. Hashem doesn't want to hear bad about His children. Not from you. Not from me. Not from rabbis. Not from anyone. He knows exactly what they're doing. It's interesting. Moshe Rabbeinu, if you look in the Chumash, when Hashem came and said, they did the Egel, they're complaining about water, they're complaining about this. Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't say, they're tzaddikim, they weren't. What did he say? How did he always get Hashem to forgive us? He said, forget about the Jewish people right now. What are the Goyim going to say? They're going to say you took us out of Mitzrayim to kill us in the Midbar. They're going to say you couldn't overcome, you, Hashem, couldn't overcome the seven nations that were in Eretz Yisrael. He protected the Jews, not by saying they're tzaddikim, they weren't, but by saying, like, you can't do this to them, because what is everybody else going to say? And Hashem said, v'salachti kivarecha. So he, he was always defending us. He didn't get up and... He didn't get up and, and, um, and rip our heads off. The only one time that he got up and ripped our heads off, he said to Hashem, I can't do this anymore, was when we didn't have Akar Satov. When we didn't have a, appreciation that Hashem, what Hashem gave us, that Moshe Abeno couldn't deal with. Ingrates? Ingrates? Not, not appreciating God? That's when he said to Hashem, I can't do this anymore. And Hashem said, no, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, and we're going to continue... But that's when he, when he said, an ingrate? Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'm not protecting an ingrate. In the end, he did. So we see from this Mishnah that the way you're accepted by your peers, that tells you the way you're accepted by Hashem. It's a very fascinating Mishnah. Because it's not what I would think. How do you know Hashem loves them? He learns. He davens. He's a tzaddik. No, it's not what the Mishnah says. How do you know Hashem loves somebody? And he's happy with them? People get along with this person, Hashem gets along with this person. There's a... There's a... Chavetz Chaim. And I talked about this after Maron. Again, people were trying to figure out why Maron happened. They pointed fingers. And I said, listen, I don't know why Maron happened. I, who could answer why Maron happened? But there's a very fascinating Chavetz Chaim. Chavetz Chaim brings down 
that when David HaMelech went to war against the Plishtim, he won the war, but he lost a lot of soldiers. We lost a lot, of, like any war, we lost a lot of soldiers. When Achav, who was the biggest Russia, he made an Avoy on every corner, he brought Avoy Dezerah in the base of Middash. He was the worst Jewish king, one of the worst, Menashe, Achav, and Yeruvim, they were the worst kings. He was the worst. When he went to war against the Plishtim, he won and didn't lose one man. Went into a major war, didn't lose one man, wasn't killed. How could that be? David Melech was wrote to Hillary with a big tzaddik. His people were tzaddikim. Achav's people were Rishon. They, 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 all they did was avoid the Zara. Not one person died. Chavetz Chaim says because they never spoke Lashon Hara on each other. By David, they were all talking Lashon Hara on each other. By Achav, they were best friends. They were bad. They were best friends in the bar, maybe in the movie theater, maybe serving avoid the Zara. But they all spoke good about each other. They never hurt each other. Hashem said they never hurt each other. I'm going to protect them. Not one of them is going to die. Not because they were put on tefillin, not because they daven with a minion, just the opposite. They did everything they could do wrong. They got along with each other. Hashem wants His children, all of us, to get along. It's the most important thing is achdus. Yes, what do you want to ask? But that doesn't mean that you don't have to do everything else. What? That doesn't mean you don't have to do everything else. You do have to do everything else. But you see that even if you don't, if we all get along, He forgives us. Problem is, we don't all get along, and we're not doing the right things. I said I wouldn't say bad about the Jews. But, Hashem can't even complain, because for 2,000 years we haven't seen them. No base on Megdash. We went through Holocaust, Spanish Inquisition, Crusades. I don't think there'd be another nation, religion, that would, that like Christians, if they would have gone through what we went through, I don't think they'd be a religion anymore. For sure not. The Jewish nation has been murdered, killed, destroyed, Try to wipe us off the face of the earth, and we're still We didn't give up. So whatever you want to say, the shaitel's too long, the, the skirt's too short, all that stuff you have to deal with. You have to do what you have to do. But the bottom line is, like, what do you want from us? Like, we haven't we haven't been in the base of Mish. We don't have a Moshe Rabbeinu. Like, what do we have? We have a wall called the Kosel with a bunch of weeds and some birds sitting on it. We don't see Hashem. We see Hashem. So, we need Mashiach. Not we want Mashiach, we need Mashiach. Alright, there's another very interesting Mishnah that I actually learned downstairs, which when I first learned it, thought was the most depress- depressing piece of Torah, Mishnah, that I ever saw in my life. When I first read it, I was like, what are they trying to do? Destroy us? Like, if a therapist would read this, they would pull it out of the Mishnah, they would rip the page out of the sitter. Listen to what it says. It sounds extremely depressing. Akavya ben Mahalo Oimer, first mission of Perish Lishi. Akavya ben Mahalo said, consider three things. If you think about these three things, you will not come to sin. To sin. What three things? Dama ayim basa, know where you're coming from. Ulana tohaylech, know where you're going. And who are you going to stand up in the end after you die? Who are you going to give Din Bechajbin to? So far, is it depressing? No. Anyone depressed yet? I'm about to get you depressed, but right now you're not depressed. Okay. Okay. Where do you come from? Where are you going? And in the end is Judgment Day. Okay, here goes the Mishnah. Where do you come from? 
Metipa Srucha from a rotten putrid drop. That is not happy news. Ulana to Halech. And where do you think you're going? Lim Kaim Afa Rima Vasaleya. You're going to the dirt that's full of maggots and worms. I'm getting depressed. This is not an up Mishnah. You come from nothing and you go with nowhere. Great. And then at the end, you're going to have to answer in front of Hashem. What is this rabbi thinking? That's what you want us to learn? You come from a, a putrid, rotten drop, you go into the maggots, and then you're going to have to answer. So if you just look at the Mishnah, it looks extremely depressing. But really, it's the opposite. What gives a person the power to struggle and to overcome that struggle? Where do you get that from? Where do you get that inside power that you can actually struggle and overcome your struggle? So you've all learned biology and you know that it takes two to tangle, it takes two to make a baby. The woman produces a cellular egg, not a chicken egg, but an egg. And the man produces the male, and then the two things together produce a baby. The woman produces one cell, one egg. Sometimes if there's a twin, two eggs. The man produces millions, not a million, millions of cells. One of those cells makes it to the egg. Impregnates the egg, and that's how the child is created. Which means that that one cell, that one male cell, was competing with millions of other cells. The other cells die. They become rotten and die because only one cell can make it. Once that cell makes it, the egg is impregnated, doesn't need anything anymore. So that means that every girl in this room, every person in this world, you're that one cell that made it. All the other cells that didn't make it, they're dead. If you wouldn't have made it, a different cell would have made it, you wouldn't be here, it would be someone else. Which means that before you came into the world, before you were a child, before you were anything, as a cell, part of the child will be, you competed against millions like you. And you made it. You're the one that made it. So that is in our DNA before we even come into the world that I can struggle against the whole world and I can be the one that made it. So the Mishnah is telling you, know where you come from. The rest of the drop is putrid, is dead, is nothing. But you made it. Know where you come from. You're the one in the millions that made it. So there must be something very strong about you and very special about you. And don't worry about how you look. If you're pretty or you're not pretty, if you're rich and you're not rich, if you're tall or you're short, don't worry about it. Because in the end, all the beautiful people and all the rich people and all the not-so-beautiful people, 
and all the poor people, and all the smart people, and the not-so-smart people, and the dysfunctional people, and the functional people, and the people with disabilities, and the people with abilities, you're all going to end up in the same place. No one's better than you. Because in the end, you're maggot food. Your body, not your soul. So all that stuff that's physical, that you're like, oh, I wish I could be her, I wish I could be as pretty as her, I wish I could be that, I wish I could have her money, I wish I could have that, I wish I, I, wish I could be so smart like her. Hello? meaningless because in the end we're all equal but while seems no different than any of you maggot food my body not my soul so being busy with the pretty and the rich and the this and the covered and I have to be this and people have to respect me and it's all the mission says don't get uptight don't get don't have anxiety don't make yourself crazy because in the end it all doesn't mean anything. We're all the same. So, know where you come from, and know where you're going, everyone's equal. That should take a lot of anxiety off your shoulders. Stop trying to be like everyone else. Everyone else ends the same way, no matter how smart she is, and what she did, and how brilliant she is, it ain't going to make a difference after 120 years. Her good deeds, she'll take to the next world, that's what counts. And the third thing is that you need to know that God doesn't judge you by what you do. Besides what you do, he does a din v'cheshben. I'm speeding in the highway, I get, and the cop pulls me over. I'm doing 80 miles an hour. It's only supposed to, you're only supposed to be doing 55. I'm doing 80. So the din is, I was doing 80, I'm getting a summons, doing 80. The cheshben is, he's like, what are you doing? Why are you driving so fast? And I'm like, um, I'm on my way to the hospital. There's someone who's dying. I'm a chaplain. And the family asked me to be there. He says, oh, okay, go. No ticket. So the din is that I was speeding. The cheshben is, no, you don't get a ticket because you have a reason that you were speeding. So in the next world, there's a din. Okay, she didn't keep Shabbat. She didn't do this. She did this. She didn't do that. Whatever it is. But that's not what you're gonna. That's not what you're gonna get punished for. Then Hashem does a cheshbon. She came from a dysfunctional family. She had this. She went through this. I put her through this. I put her through that. Only Hashem can do the cheshbon. So in the end of time, it's not because he's Melech Malchem Lachem. He's the king, and the king has a right to say, "I forgive." So don't worry. There's a din and a cheshbon. So the Mishnah, instead of being a very negative Mishnah, is just the opposite. You're a fighter. You made it against millions. You can do anything. Don't worry about what the other person has. You're all going to end up in the same place. And don't worry, Hashem's the king. He'll take care of you. Oh, thank you, Akavya Mimhalel. That's a different Mishnah. Thank you very much. There's a marshal. We'll end with this marshal. Before I say the marshal, I just want to say something. Li'ili Nishmas the girl that passed away on Monday Sarachana Bas Sarachana Bas Avraham Baruch so on Rosh Hashanah by the way she happens to be she happens to have been named after a great grandmother that was born on Rosh Hashanah and had the name Sarachana because on Rosh Hashanah we read that Hashem Pakat is Sarah and we read for the Haftarah we read about Chana I just want to read you about Chana for a moment because she was this girl was very much like Hannah. So in Shmuel it says, there was a man, by the way, eating disorders, the only place ever mentioned in the Torah, 
about anorexia, about eating disorders, is right here. I looked for years and years and years because everything, abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, everything is in the Torah. We know what happened to Dina, with Shem, all the stuff is in the Torah. We know what happened to Yosef. Everything's in the Torah, but I couldn't find an eating disorder in the Torah. So one rabbi made a joke. He said, yeah, the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows and they stayed skinny. I'm like, that's not funny. It was a dream. It's not, it's not a true story. But then a rabbi told me, oh, we, there, is, there is a depression mentioned, and because of the depression, there's an eating disorder. And it happened to have been by Chana. Okay? And it says here, we read it on, we read it on, on Rosh Hashanah, and um, this man, Elkanah, had two, two wives, Chana and Penina. Vayila Penina Yuladim. Penina had seven children. Elkanah and Yuladim. And the Chana had no, had no children. So it says, if The man would go to Beit HaMikdash every year, and to make give korbanos, right? And he gave to Penina and all his children food from the animals. He gave her double. Because he loved Chana. More than Penina. But Hashem Sagar Rachma, sort of like Rachel, she didn't give birth. And her, because Penina felt that her husband gave more love to Chana, she used to make fun. Every time she had a baby, she would make fun of Chana and made her feel really, really bad. Um, here's, here's the Pasuk. It's amazing. A rabbi showed this to me. And every single year, they would go out to eat to, with you know, these Korbanos. Hashem, and she would make fun of, Pshnita would make fun of her, um, she would provoke her, she would make her angry. But Tipcha, Chana would cry, she couldn't eat. Why are you depressed and you're not eating? Aren't I better than ten children that I love you like this? But... It didn't, it didn't, it didn't help. Now. She was, she had a very embittered soul. She didn't take medicine, she didn't go to therapy, she prayed to God. And she cried a lot. And she made a promise. Listen to this. Hashem, if you see my pain, and you, rem- and you remember me, and you don't forget me, and you give me a boy, a child, I promise you I will give this child to you, Hashem, and make him a Nazir. And never have his head shaved, whatever, make him a Nazir. And she was crying to Hashem, saying, I'm making a deal, Hashem. If you give me a child, I'll make him into a, a Nazir. And that was Shmuel, Hanavi. Shmuel Hanavi was her child. But... Eli, who was the Kohen Gadol, saw this woman sitting in the corner talking to herself. She wasn't diving like, like, Shema Yisrael. She was like, her lips were moving, but he didn't hear any, any and no one ever diving like that before the Gemara says. When a person prayed, they prayed out loud. There was no such thing as praying quietly like we do in the Shema Yisrael. We learned that from her. So he thought she was drunk. Because what, what, what are you talking to yourself, right? The Chani Midebaras Aliba. But Chana was talking to her heart. Rocks for Sarah noise. Her only her lips moved. The color lo yishama, but you couldn't hear her voice. By Eli Eli thought she was a drunk. 
When are you going to stop drinking? Get rid of your wine. You're a wino. He thought she was drunk. No, my master. I am a broken woman. I don't drink wine. That's ridiculous. The Eshbach is not for Hashem. I I was just pouring out my heart to Hashem. Altitin is a muscle's name based on Don't think that I'm a wicked woman. For for I'm just speaking my, my, my soul and my heart. So he said to her, he was the Kohen Gadol, L'chilu Shalom, go in peace. I'm giving you a bracha of tacha that what you asked, what you asked, I will keep. Now listen to this about eating disorders. So now she got a bracha that she is now going to have children. And she knew it was going to come true because it came from the Kohen Gadol. But time she said to him, Thank you. I hope I found favor in your eyes. And she went on her way. She started eating. And that face, that depression face, never happened again. This is the rabbi showed me. He said, this is the only place you'll ever see in the Torah that someone stopped eating because they were depressed and they started eating again because the thing that they thought they would never got, they got. So this girl that passed away, whose name was Sarachana, was Mamish, Mamish Chana. She didn't talk. She didn't talk a lot. She talked very little about her stuff. She talked very low. She talked very little. But she prayed a lot. She prayed a lot. The last couple of months, she got really, really close to Hashem. And that was her name. Her name was Chana. Her name was Sarah. Sarah went through very hard times. Sarah didn't have children for 90 years. Sarah was kidnapped by Paro. Sarah was kidnapped by, by um, Avimelech. Sarah had the problems with Yishmael. She went through a very, very hard life. And it's interesting because by Sarah, it says she was 127. So Rashi says, why doesn't it just say she was 127? It says she was 100, and then she was 20, and she was 7. So it says when she was 100, she was like 20. When she was 20, she was like 7. Sarah, the girl that passed away, died on her 20th birthday. Her birthday was Sunday. She died Monday morning. So it's definitely a big, a very big connection. This year should be an aliyah for her, for her neshama. And try not to give anyone ayin haris. If you don't give anyone ayin haris... You, you, you're allowed to want to be married like the other girl, but you can't ask why she, not me. That's the Ayin Hara. You're allowed to want. You're allowed to want to be married. You're allowed to want to have a nice dress. You're allowed to want a lot of things. But you're not allowed to say why that person and not me. Because that opens up an Ayin Hara. And once you open that up, anybody can give you an Ayin Hara. Red string, no red string, poor lead, don't pour lead. It's not going to help you. Anyway, it was a very big pleasure teaching you this year. I really enjoyed this class. I enjoyed this half of the day. And you should all be Matzliach, and whoever wants to come back next year, you're invited. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.